Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 102 of the Citrix session. This is a part two of a two-part series where we're uh, reviewing Florian's um, blog about cybersecurity and where Citrix plays in that. Um, I posted number one earlier today on LinkedIn and social media, other places, and you know, I just love the... Um, I'd love to be able to tell people, especially security people, that Citrix is a security company. It's a security play, has been forever. Uh, when you get a real hardcore security guy, they'll, they'll argue with you. I'm like, man, if I can remotely have you access something, but don't allow you to print, that's super awesome. And that's a security play as far as I'm concerned. We don't have, we don't have to agree. We just have to respect each other's opinion. How about that? Ben, ben Rogers is with us from Citrix. Um, uh, before I go there, uh, Bill Sutton, of course, is with us. Bill's our director of services for Zintegra. Bill and I were chit-chatting before this. Uh, we're gonna have to clone him. He's got a lot going on. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot going on for sure. Yeah. Uh, ben Rogers is with us. Ben Rogers is uh, today, I guess tomorrow officially, a uh, Citrix sales engineer. And then Ben's moving on to somewhere else after that. Ben, uh, clock's uh, winding down, huh? Yeah, man, a little bit bittersweet. Uh, but I'm looking forward to my new adventure. And hopefully I'll be able to announce that here in a couple of days. And uh, like I said to the crowd, man, hopefully I'll be back in the Zintegra circle supporting some other products that you guys sell. Well, you um, you do a good job of keeping yourself connected and, and uh, relevant in terms of the technology, especially in our space. I I got a young kid. He's a junior, not my son, but a friend of mine's son, junior at North Carolina State. He's a computer science major. And I was trying to explain to him this morning what his future could look like if he were to join us. Um, at the same time, I'm trying to get him not to join us and go work for a you know big technology firm with a bunch of young people working for it, where he gets that energy and that vibe for a couple of years goes and sees what's out there in the world and then come work with us at some point. Goes back to my conversation about connections and relevance. Um, that starts early these days. Yeah, I mean, I, I 100% believe that it's a good time to be in technology. We, I mean, if you've looked at technology over the 30 years, you've seen some massive paradigm shift, internet, virtualization. And I think cloud is right. We're right at the beginning of that cloud paradigm shift where if you're in this industry, you've got plenty to do plenty of work, just like you two guys said. Y'all need to clone yourselves. It's a good industry to be in, and so uh, man, I'm very proud that I've landed here, and very proud that I've been able to make a you know flourishing career, and hopefully it'll last me another 15, 20 years. But it's a good time to be in tech, in my opinion. But but Ben, if you were a computer science major coming out of a you know decent major university, would you want to go somewhere and help people solve business challenges with technology, or would you want to go somewhere and invent technology? Ooh, I mean, personally, I would want to solve problems because that's what I've done for 30 years. And, and that's where my mind is geared to. I don't go into meetings thinking of what technology can I implement? I go into what problem do I need to solve and how can I bring technology to solve that problem? As a young person, that would be wild and, and neat to go work for an innovative company like Citrix or, you know, some of the other players out there. Boston Dynamics would be one that I think would be awesome to work for with the robot robotic and AI technology. Um, man, it would be a hard call. I'd have to see what my opportunities are and yeah. if Boston Dynamics or somebody like that was knocking at my door. It'd be hard not to go that direction. But I think any route you go, I will say one thing to people. Sales is where you get a lot of uh, attention and a lot of interaction and get to see a lot of different things. And I'm not going to lie. You can make a good bit of money. So if somebody you know wants to be in technology but doesn't want to be turning the gears but still wants to make a quite a good living, man, mm -hmm. going into sales and consulting is definitely a way to go. 
Uh, I got a lot to respond to that. Uh, Bill, you want to chime in real quick before I just explain? No, I, I, I think if, it, you know, given what the given the choice, I, I, I'm not sure which way I would go, to be honest. I think it would depend. But, uh, you know, being a young person coming out of college with computer science degree, I, I, I'd probably lend myself more towards the creation uh, if I were a program, you know, if I were a coder type person or, or inclined towards coding. Then I, you know, maybe a startup or a small company, uh, but but definitely I I would want to be in an environment that was like with like-minded folks um, to start with and kind of get your feet wet and and then decide what you want to do after a couple of years or three. So I, I didn't ask the question right, but before I re-ask the question or restate it and then answer my own question, um, I'll, I'll just tell Ben I told you so, right? Because Ben Ben was a CIO. I told him get into sales and consulting, man. You won't you won't believe how much fun that stuff is. And he's taking his head on camera. He, he knows I was right. Um, and I found that out myself the hard way. I was 35 years old before I got into true uh, sales consulting and. Uh, I walked in my first day at Citrix uh, as a sales engineer, and it was sales kickoff, and everybody was having a great time at a party. I'm like, man, I've been I've been locked in a data center all these years. I've I've missed it. A lot of fun on this that side of the fence. Imagine being an accountant for 13 years before you discovered uh, it. <laughs> so. well, well, one of the things that this side of the fence gives you uh, that I didn't get when I was you know director of IT at CNSA. There were lots of challenges there. Don't don't don't. I'm not trying to downplay that, but. Man, you see different scenarios every day. I mean, I get up in the morning and I look at my calendar. I could be dealing with finance. I could be dealing with manufacturing. I could be dealing with healthcare. And even those zeros and ones and the infrastructure somewhat the same in all those verticals, there's still different challenges, man. This morning I was on with a healthcare client talking about how to get topaz, uh, signature pads to work with thin clients. I'll be on the call this afternoon talking to a bank about how to do some wire transfers. And so, uh, you really do get to see a lot of different scenarios and business problems when you're on the sales consulting side. So, uh, yes, Andy, you told me many years ago I should make the break, and I, I ignored you for 10 years, but uh, I'm glad I finally listened to you and, and super excited I've made the switch and uh, look forward to the next 10 to 15 years sitting in these roles. Yeah, you, you had too much personality to be running an IT shop every day. And too much uh, passion. Hey, let me ask my question slightly different, though, and I'll move on. I'm setting us, us up to talk about the security stuff again, I promise. Um, it's really not a, a computer science kid, go out and invent something. Okay, great. Uh, or it's be a computer science or a computer engineer or management information systems consultant uh, and come out to real world business challenges and solve problems with uh, technologies that other people invented. You're just knowledgeable enough. To, uh, to RTFM, read the freaking manual or watch the YouTube video or what have you and go implement that and solve business challenges. I think what really makes us tick, the folks on this call, is taking technologies that we have vision of and going to help people solve those. And honestly, to Ben's point, you can sit in a cube all day and code, um, but if you go out and solve business challenges, you're helping businesses save and make money. That's where you make money. Yeah, personally. I, I agree. People aren't buying technology for technology. People are buying technology to solve a problem. Right. And I think we forget that sometimes as technologists. We get so wrapped up around how the gears are turned and how they work that we forget that this has got to be applied to a business problem that helps them become more efficient and make more money. And that's really the end game is fix my problem, allow me to be profitable. If technology solves that, that's fine. If a human solves it, that's fine. Just fix it. Yeah. Hey, Ben, I probably did this before. You'll, you'll be able to answer easily if I did. Why is it called an application? 
Why is it called an application? Because you're applying business functions to solve a business problem. You're, you're, you're applying software to a, a challenge, a business challenge. More than likely, think about, you know, Lotus 1, 2, 3, Lotus Notes, uh, all that stuff in the very beginning, Excel, when it evolved. Um, that's all they were doing. They were, t- I mean, people used to have pen and paper and ledgers. Imagine how painful. Well, Bill would know, I think. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, back in the day, when, it, when we'd go to do an audit, we'd take a trial balance by hand. As soon as oh. we got our hands on Lotus 1, 2, 3, boy, things changed. You didn't have to use the calculator nearly as much. Uh, it was it was a sea change when we got Lotus one two three. We figured out how to how formulas worked, and we got that thing so that we could just plug the numbers in, and it would foot and cross foot for us. It was a huge time saver. Think like about electronic medical records. Oh yeah. my gosh! Oh yeah, man, a huge time saver. Dude, the, 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 universal the, universal secure electronic medical records. So I don't have to fill out those stupid forms anymore. Yeah, yeah. but like but like for healthcare and man, I'll. My healthcare administrators that have been around for a while appreciate this. Doctors used to take medical records physically in their hands and put them in their cars, take them over to the hospital. So you would have records that would be missing and you would be like, I have no idea where they are, where they could be. And then a doctor cleans his car six months later. He's like, oh, look, I found John Doe's record. Uh, the, the implementation of electronic medical records and what that's done for securing patient medical records, medical records being in a, in a single place that can be viewed anywhere. That's been a big paradigm shift. It, it was technology that did it, but the business problem was we've got to secure these records. we got to make sure they stay in control of the healthcare entity that owns them. And, and that's what EMRs have done. Yeah. Well, let's, let's use that to talk about part two of this blog. And that is Citrix as a trusted partner platform that you, Mr. Organization, have chose to implement is helping you solve more challenges than just remote virtualizing that app. And some of those challenges, whether you know it or not, are related to security and risk. So I'll just go back through the four things that Florian points out in his blog. Uh, Accept the risk, avoid or eliminate the risk. That would be great if we can all do that, but that's not real. Uh, Mitigate the risk or transfer the risk. Um, you as an organization are doing some part of all, part of all of that when it comes to your IT. And then what we've been talking about in part one, uh, where we covered, let me run through these, we covered multi-factor, we covered endpoint detection and response, we covered SIM tools, we covered uh, privileged access, we covered patching, we covered backups. I mean, something as old and um, as boring as backups is extremely important. Uh, and now we're going to cover some more things around how Citrix as a platform, as a trusted partner in all this for the customer uh, and the partner, uh, Zintegra in this case, um, gives you the ability to answer those cybersecurity challenges, and you might not even know you're doing it in many of those cases. Uh, The first one we're going to talk about as part two here is uh, remove end of life and end of support uh, devices, so EOL and EOS devices and software. we got a project right now. I won't go into detail. Bill, you can chime in a little bit. I think they've got 2008, 2012 servers. And then we walked into it eyes. We didn't even, we didn't know that was going to be the case. We just assumed it wasn't. They've got a problem. Uh, we've got to help them solve it. Um, there's a lot of end of life stuff out there still. Yeah, we, we had one. Um, we have one right now that you may or may not be aware of where we've, we've, the customer's running and you're gonna you're gonna love this version four five of Citrix and version six zero of Citrix oh. uh, still running in production, running on two thousand three servers, two thousand eight R two servers. You know the, none of that's supported, so you know we we need to get them moved up. But obviously the applications are a big part of that, and whether they're supported um, and 
you know that that that's what the project is all about. But it but we still see a lot of this stuff out there um, on occasion, anyways. It's still out there. Yeah. And then the question for like that organization is they want to just webify all their applications and eventually they'll get there, I'm sure. And then a lot of people, I hear this every week. Oh, I don't need Citrix anymore. It's like, well, you must not know what Citrix does today. Then if you make that statement, right. uh, most of the applications I access on a daily basis are SaaS applications, but I still log into my Citrix workspace to get to them because I get single identity, multi-factor, single sign-on, analytics, all the things that make me still want to use Citrix, but I don't publish a lot of apps. Yeah, you also retain ownership, though, man. That's one of the things I talk to a lot of customers about when they start talking about going SaaS is when you go SaaS, it's great, but you do, from an administrative sense, lose some ownership. I mean, you can create your user list and you can do some you know, access within the application, but how do you prevent people from getting to the application or you, if you don't want them to? How do you prevent them from copying and pasting out of the application? I mean, we've talked about EMRs. If I was leaving the company... What would prevent me from going in and copying medical records and putting them in a Word document for me to take to my next employer? Citrix provides all of that. We provide that overlay of protection that you need for these SaaS-based, web-based applications. One of the things I can say about this particular part of this this, uh, blog is that, uh, man, this is huge for companies that have legacy apps that they can't get off of, whether it's for reporting purposes like healthcare. Healthcare has to keep uh, medical records around for a minimum of seven years. If you're in pediatrics, it's to the person's age 18 to 21. So some companies can't just let these legacy applications go away and they still have to be under demand to secure them. Citrix fits in really good there. Run that application in a Citrix environment and secure it with Citrix. You can make it accountable. You can make it where it's secured as far as access level. You can you can put some security policies over top of it to prevent copy, paste, and print. So end of life, people get worried about that, but Citrix really does have a solution that will allow you to extend the life of that application with modern-day security. Um, and, and Ben, this section we're talking about here really calls out Citrix virtual apps and desktop, and 100% true. Like We can keep running old stuff if we need to uh, and keep it alive and have it for, uh, you know, referenceability that you couldn't if it was all SaaS. But at the same time, this also, some of the other technologies that Citrix sets you up for the future. So when the app goes from x86 to a newer version of x86 or goes full SaaS, you know, you've got a natural transition. Okay, how do I get to it now? You log into the same place, so Citrix Workspace. You log into the same place you did yesterday. It's just now an icon here versus there. And we even named it in such a way you know which one to go to. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Bill, chance to chime in on that one a little more or before we move on? No, I think we covered it pretty well on the EOL piece. Yeah, I, I, I completely agree with what Ben was saying regarding the presentation of the uh, these older legacy apps via Citrix. Securing them that way uh, really does um, benefit the customer and allows them to provide access in the same way they do their current apps to the older apps. Yeah. So this next section talks about something newer. Um, in the world of Citrix in terms of um, more and more making them a security conversation. And the title of this section is Block Internet Access to Vulnerabilities. And I'll go ahead and say the two products, Citrix uh, Secure Private Access and Citrix Secure Internet Access. You know, I, like many people, kind of get confused on all the different new things Citrix is doing. Can you guys help unpack what uh, what Citrix is doing to, to, to help with the protocol flows of applications and the, the different you know, protocols that go along with those applications? Ben. I can start. 
uh, I'm going to go with secure internet access right off the bat because this is a product that I thought was phenomenal when they introduced it to Citrix. One of the problems that I had where I was at was that people would access the internet and if you didn't have any kind of rules that would prevent them, man, they would go everywhere. So in the early days, uh, you would walk down the hall and you'd see people minimizing windows as you would walk down the hall. You know, here comes the IT director. Don't let him see what we're in. Uh, when we implemented a secure access model, we then were able to go, okay, here are the areas of the company. You can hear the areas of the internet you can go to. Here are the areas of the internet you can't go to. We blocked them. Well, that was very, I had a device on site that would do that. And so for me with a multi-site, I had to get all my sites to that single device. What secure internet access does, which is, is would be perfect in my old scenario, is it's a cloud service. It's sitting out there. So I don't have to have a robust WAN that ties everything back to a single spot that then's looking at a single device for these rules. This is a service so I could take my individual sites and drive them to this service. And what that would do is give me internet protection. If, uh, you know, let's just say that a ransomware payload did get on a machine when it was tried to execute, it would be blocked. And so there's just a lot of power here with, you know, this is a next generation firewall that's sitting out on the internet for consumption. And so it takes away a lot of problems of having a wide area network, driving traffic back to a single location. You now can have multiple locations, drive them all to this service. The rules can be across the whole enterprise. So you got one pane of glass to implement all these uh, internet-based rules. It's a really good solution and something that I don't think a lot of people realize that Citrix has gotten into. We now can provide next generation firewall um, access and protection and provisioning from this cloud service. Yeah. So I, I want to throw one little piece in there and then I want to hear Bill's comments. I like this. I like what it does. You know what gets me most excited about this is going to be the silliest trivial thing. Uh, the fact that the Citrix workspace app is already on my devices and that bit of code is in there and I don't have to add another agent. Right, exactly. So Ben, go ahead. No, no, go ahead, Bill. I was going to say, Ben, secure internet access. This is just so that I'm clear, because this is one that I'm not that familiar with, to be honest with you. This is uh, this is kind of like the old web. It, it, it's beyond it, but it's kind of like the old web filtering capabilities that we've had to your point where, you know, you can say you can't access this, these specific sites during this time. Um, it's really, that's really what this does in addition to other things. Is that right? I want to chime in real quick because it, it, Bill, Bill, that's not wrong in terms of ultimately what ends up happening, but, but the whole, the problem with the web filtering piece is that was on your gateway on the way out. What about when they're not on your network? Ben, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're exactly right. And Andy, you, you make a good point that I was making is that you can drive any site to this. So, man, mergers and acquisitions, you know, you, you've merged with a company or you've taken over a company, but they're not necessarily on your network, but you need to provide internet access day one. This is a way to do that. This is basically uncoupling the firewall capabilities from on-prem and putting them out in a service and being able to drive everybody to that service. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is kind of like the branch office capability without having to do the home run back through headquarters. In a That's sense. correct. Yeah. That is absolutely correct. What I would love to see now, this is this is a wish list. And I've talked to, to Citrix about this is, uh, you know, we've got this, this service, man. It would be cool if we could bring that service down to our ADCs and run a little bit of this on the ADC. So you then could make 
the ADC a gateway for companies that did have ADCs. Uh, it's been an interesting conversation with some of our engineers, but they go, some of these ADCs are used more than just, you know, a lot of them are used for inbound traffic, not outbound traffic. So it would be a little bit of a shift driving outbound traffic through the ADC. But I've always thought, you know, why can't we take a little bit of this code, drop it on the ADC, marry it to the cloud service? But uh, it's a it's a it's a wish list thing that I presented to them. But uh, that would be really hip, man, to be able to localize it on an ADC so that you can process it directly from the ADC and not necessarily have to go to the service. But if you don't have ADCs, point it to the service. The service will do all the protection mechanisms for you and provide you that next gener- next generation access that you need. I got to tell you a quick story. The, the, the part of the summary of what Ben just said there is most people don't know this, but the ADC, the Application Delivery Controller, aka Netscaler, it's a router. Um, my second time I ever touched a Netscaler, we were implementing for a hospital in Gastonia, North Carolina, or doing a POC, proof concept. And the guy at Citrix at the time, I was a consultant for a partner, he was explaining to me the ADC is a router. And about the time we plugged that thing in and turned it on, the entire network went down at the hospital. I'm like, oh my gosh, what did we just do? And he said, no, no, we didn't do anything. I promise we didn't do anything. It turns out an hour later, they figured out what their networking guy had done. But I thought for a minute there after finding out that the power of the Netscaler is all because of smart software on a, on a router, really, um, that we had taken it down. So, but that was the moment that it stuck in my head forever, that that thing truly is a router. We just typically use it for other things like inbound uh, application protection stuff. Hey, um. The Citrix technology is in play here. The first one, secure internet access. Either one of you guys want to help explain to me what uh, Citrix secure private access is as it relates uh, compared to the other one we just talked about? Ben, you got a, you got knowledge of this one. Uh, this one is essentially is designed to be a zero trust network access uh, environment from what I understand. Um, and essentially it's designed to kind of allow you to replace or, or uh, supplement your VPN. I think really replace it. It's a cloud-based service, but um, that allows a lot of things like browser isolation and and um, uh, single sign-on and so forth. But I, I'm not, I've not used it myself, so I'm not all that familiar with it, to be honest with you. So where this is really coming into play is for companies that no longer have on-prem applications. I mean, we can do on-prem applications, but we have a lot of companies that come to us and go, we're born in the internet. We, we don't have any on-prem applications. We've got all these internet-based, SaaS-based applications, but we need to secure them. We need to put a layer of protection over them that we can't do natively. And that's where this comes really into play. What we do is we use workspace and our workspace infrastructure in the background, and we publish these SaaS-based applications for you. So what that does is that, you know, Andy, you've been a big proponent to bring everything in the workspace. If it's not in workspace, I shouldn't be working with it. Well, it's the same idea. Don't change what your users are having to do. Let them use the same portal they've always used. And then with secure private access, we then can publish these SaaS apps and we can put protection over them, you know, copy, paste, print, and all that jazz. Another component to this is exactly what you said. We can get into where we can have a direct access into the environment without it being per se a VPN. We don't have to open up all of that traffic. So where I thought this was pretty neat is let's say you've got a wearable device that needs access to an inbound application. That's where something like this would come into play. You've got something that needs to talk directly to a machine that's in that data center. We can publish that through the secure private access. That's great. That helped me a ton. And and now that you talked through it, I 
I do know what that thing is. Me too. So absolutely. All right. So the next section here uh, talks about Citrix Secure Access. I was at uh, a 50th birthday party this past weekend and, uh, you know, talked to yet another guy that's involved in IT at a financial institution. And they are, because of the pandemic, they're all out running VPNs and, and, you know, he's a smart guy. I only, it only took like four words out of my mouth before he knew Yeah, Yeah, I know. It's not what we should be doing. It's just what we're doing. It's how we reacted when the beat, when the uh, pandemic hit, um, Citrix, when they made the acquisition of the Netscale or Citrix, when they developed the secure gateway interface, uh, CSG, you know, that stayed around forever. Um, what was it called before that bill? Do you remember before CSG, it was called Infuse? Infuse. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so Citrix knew early on, and I'm talking late 90s, that remotely accessing this stuff without a VPN was where it needed to go. You know, simple, secure. Um, but there's still tons of companies out there running VPNs as a way to access this stuff. Um, ben, um, VPNs are a funny thing to me because a lot of people go, oh, well, it's just giving us access to this. And the question I have is, have you done an inventory of your ACLs lately? Have you tested your ACLs? Do you know what all your ACLs are doing? And man, unfortunately, nine times out of 10, you get people going, nah, we haven't done it. And so I think VPN has a place, uh, but I think when you're managing VPNs, you've got to be on top of that. And in my opinion, you got to be inventorying that quarterly, if not monthly, just to make sure there's no rules in there that would allow access. What this does is takes away all that complexity, man. You don't have to worry about your ACLs. You don't have to worry about a junior routing engineer getting in there, doing something and open up something that now has the whole network visible. And so I like this solution because it's easy and it allows me to give direct access to what needs to be accessed, not to the whole whole network. So how about this statement? The only people, the only users that should be using a VPN are the administrators and they should only use that when they have no other way to get in. I agree with that. I mean, like for me, you can publish your administrative desktops through Citrix. So I, you know, I don't think I would give any administrator VPN. Now I might give them a backdoor in case something with Citrix was down, but the way Citrix is today, you can make it pretty robust and almost make it where it won't go down. So if I was back in director level, CIO level, I might go no VPN. Yeah. You need it. We'll deal with it then. Bill, any comments on uh, the VPN versus secure access over? Uh, yeah, I know a number of companies, friends of mine that have worked have worked for companies that uh, that that had basically had to go VPN as soon as the pandemic started, and they they had problems with uh, with bandwidth and other elements where they weren't prepared for a VPN, and something like this definitely would have helped a lot. Well, not only the, the fact you open up massive security holes, it's just. Yeah pretty cumbersome for the end users. They've now got to understand understand basic technology networking. Uh, it'd be better if they just logged in and clicked on an icon. Exactly. Yeah. All right. Next uh, section talks about secure your workforce, uh, Citrix Secure Internet Access. I think we talked about this a little bit, but uh, let's let's uh, understand what uh, Florian's pointing out here. Um, ben, any, anything else we need to expand on this one as it relates to the blog? Man, again, to me, this is... This is outbound firewall in a box. As you see the list here, you know, man, this CASB piece, that's something I would like to talk about because a lot of people, you know, really don't understand, you know, the CASB piece. That So what makes the internet neat is there's lots of resources out there. What 
makes it dangerous is there's lots of resources out there. But let's take Facebook, for example, or no, LinkedIn, for example. LinkedIn can be a very good thing for employees. There are parts of LinkedIn that we want our employee base to get to, but there are other parts of LinkedIn that we don't want them to go to. Like I wouldn't want my employees to go looking for jobs while they're on my nickel. This is what this CASB does, man. This CASB allows you to grant access to LinkedIn, but to only certain portions of LinkedIn. So I could say, hey, if my uh, IT people are looking at advanced education and they want to do something with ISC squared, give them the ISC squared information out of LinkedIn. But if they go looking for jobs on ICS squared, they go to the career section, stop them. So this really is a cool way of granting people access to sites that they need, but limiting the functionality they can have them. Facebook was a big thing for me. Marketers wanted to have access to Facebook. Everybody in marketing wanted Facebook. And I was like, I can't do that because once I open up Facebook, I open it up, you know, to everything in Facebook. This would have been a great solution to me because I could have said, okay, marketing team, I'm going to give you access to Facebook, but you can only get to these specific sections in Facebook. That is a powerful, um, powerful tool, in my opinion, and I see a lot of companies that will be able to leverage that for the good of the employee and the good for the business. So, Ben, I'd like to start those conversations with making sure I level set with whoever I'm talking to the difference between the Internet and the World Wide Web of applications. Yeah, that's good. That's good, Andy. I didn't think about that. So I, um, I interviewed a sales guy yesterday and I asked him, what is the Internet? I, if you're listening to this and you're ever interviewed by me, I'm going to ask you, what is the Internet? And the internet, right, is just this public it's it's this public network that's blended and meshed with private networks all over the place and can get your traffic where it needs to be. Back in the Al Gore days, we used to talk about the World Wide Web. And really, the World Wide Web is just a bunch of applications that you access through the internet, uh, SaaS applications or just applications, what's called applications for this conversation. And um, what this CASB type stuff with secure internet access really allows people like Ben in his former role to get smart about what applications he lets them access versus just trying to pin down which sites, which network sites he can get to, right? That's correct. And, and once you get people thinking internet is a network uh, and the World Wide Web, that www that we still type in sometimes, it, it, that's really what you're talking about. You're not talking about the internet, you're talking about the web. Now, unfortunately, marketing and things have got us to where we just think internet is everything we touch that's not ours. Um, you really can't have this conversation until you pull those two things apart. Andy, it's funny, you're talking about that and some of your words are reverberating in my head. It's not cloud, it's clouds. And clouds are apps as a service, infrastructure as a service, platform as a service. I mean, it's just, you, you gotta be careful. I, I, I'm actually talking to one of your C-level people later today, Ben, and he and I are having a conversation. I'm not sure he knows the difference between what I'm talking about and what he's talking about, because he's talking to marketing speak, I'm pulling down a level and then we're gonna talk again just to make sure he understands what my concerns are, but it's just normal. I mean, the whole world, like, is it, is it a cola? No, it's a Coke. Well, no, it's not. It's a cola. No, it's a Coke. Oh, okay. All right. Uh, the last piece with this that I would say, man, that's really killer is the, the real time reporting. Uh, man, you have something weird come up, man, go in this reporting engine. It'll, it'll help you drive out. Or, you know, I was one time researching something for CNSA and during my research, I found something that was quite interesting to the company. And we didn't realize that we had created that rule to do what it was doing. 
And as soon as we got in and started drilling into some reports, we realized that, oh, we created this. It's for a specific purpose, but a lot of people are using it that shouldn't be. So we had to clip, we had to, you know, clip some of the access back. But I would have never found that unless I was doing a report against something. And so this thing has a very robust reporting engine. You'll be able to tell what your users are doing, what sites are being accessed, how long they're being accessed, just a litany of things that administrators, CEOs, CFOs want to know about what's going on on their internet service. And Ben, it's smart enough to tell you when things, anomalies start to happen and people start going places they hadn't been going, it can at least log that and maybe even alert you on it. Yeah, I think it can do some alerting. I mean, I think it's limited, but the biggest thing is being able to clip and report on it and then being able to respond if you need. Well, it's just like what today, what's the most valuable, one, one of the most valuable commodities we have and that's data and the ability to get that data out of there um, and we've got customers now that are running older versions of, of uh, Citrix, like we talked about earlier. And, you know, in one case, the customer has like 130 apps that are published. And we're like, well, how many of these are actually used by users? Well, I think it's 10. It's only 10. Well, which 10? Well, I, I think it's these eight and maybe this one and maybe this one. They don't have the data to support it. So the ability to have that data somewhere, um, whether it's the cloud or whether it's on-prem, but in this case, being to get it get it through the cloud, uh, just get, being able to get the data and analyze it for that sole purpose, that single purpose of what apps are being used is huge. And then you take it to the next level, um, like you were talking about, Ben, the ability to see in real time what users are doing, uh, what's what's the load on the network, who's accessing what from where and so forth. All that data is valuable, very valuable to the business to be able to monitor and, and report on what's happening in their organizations. So this next section is uh, secure your access, secure private access. I think we kind of got ahead of ourselves when we talked about the other section, but um, let's just succinctly, Ben, if you don't mind, just restate what secure private access is and hitting these bullets that are here that are particular to point out. Well, I mean, we've kind of, you know, talked about secure private access being able to way to protect your internet and your SaaS-based applications. Um, man, I want to open up the door here for a minute, Andy, and talk about BYOD because it's interesting when you're working with customers, some customers still think that they need to own the endpoint device. And with chip shortages these days, I mean, a lot of them are stressing on trying to get Chromebooks, laptops. And I look at them sometimes and go, why are you putting that stress on yourself? Why don't you let the users use their own devices and come into Citrix and not worry about that. Get that off your plate. And so that's one of the things. The third point is, is, you know, implement a BYOD program. I would like to see administrators stop thinking about they've got to provide their users their equipment and give them the ability to work. Everybody has their own equipment these days. If you don't, there's ways to get it. Talk to Andy. He's got a, a he's got a uh a startup company that's helping kids in underprivileged areas get laptops so that they continue, you know, at home education. There's ways to get equipment. It just pains me when I see administrators stressing over this where I'm like, you've got the infrastructure where you don't have to do that. You don't have to provide. Yesterday, when I was talking to HR, having my exit interview, they were like, well, what equipment do you have from us? And I was like, I don't have anything of yours. And they're like, what do you mean? I was like, I work for Citrix. I can do everything on my own devices. You cocoon me in an area that makes it safe. You didn't have to provide me anything. And that's the way more companies should start thinking about it. So, Ben, I, I love doing these podcasts because I get challenged myself. Also, Zintegra had a BYOD policy, and then we started buying uh, Microsoft Surfaces and Lenovo's. 
so that we could then own the device and give them to people. We, as a company, never explored using this. The challenges we had with BYOD were twofold. Uh, one, having some control over the device without ownership of it. This solves that. Why we didn't use that ourselves, I don't know. Um, and then the other was when you came into a Zintegra office, uh, we needed you to be able to dock your laptop and work from one of our spots, like our, our hoteling spots. And uh, USB-C and these uh, docking stations are going to solve that. So I'm, I'm back to thinking we got to go back to BYOD and just include some type of uh, secure private access Citrixes to uh, to allow people to to be use their device, but us kind of guard them against what they don't know they don't know. Yeah, like I, I like I look at administrators and go protect what you have to protect, and that's the data center, the data and inside applications. And if you're SaaS, preventing SaaS data from linking over into something where you don't want. Get out of the end user end user game, man. It it, it with today's technology, you can stop worrying about that. And if you have, you know, this is not part of secure private access, but if you have in some kind of in factor or ADC as a service or something like that sitting in front of this, you can scan their device and go, hey, you've got to be at certain software threshold levels to allow access. So then you do put some of the onus back on the user to go, if you want to access our environment, you've got to keep your devices up to this level. So again, I just look at this whole section here. Wonderful how we do this, but the biggest thing to me is you get away from owning those endpoint devices, which should save companies a lot of money. Yeah, and and they don't have to manage the things. I, you know, you're, you take uh, stuff we already talked about here with uh, secure access, where we're going to challenge that you have certain things, and then at the same time, you we use Tanium and Zintegra. You put Tanium agent on there, you check the devices to make sure they have things they're supposed to have, and you push patches out for the operating system and important applications. Uh, and then at the same time, you have a uh, what I'll, I'll call a century, like a person guarding their machine all the time and prevent, help prevent them from going places that might harm them. That's great. Uh, Bill, you want to comment on that after you heard all that back and forth and you know, you're on our management calls, you hear my my struggles there. Yeah, I mean, you know, while while we've been talking, I've also been kind of looking through some of this private access stuff, and it uh, it's really amazing um, what Citrix has done here. I, I wasn't really aware of how much had been developed in this arena, but, you know, the ability to use multiple identity providers to get into secure private access and then access SaaS apps as well as on-prem apps through a gateway, because that was my challenge, Ben, was how does this enable access to the on-prem apps? And it does through a through a connector, just like we do with such virtual apps and desktops and other other components. Uh, so it this is, uh, you know, and, and it leverages browser isolation and the ability to, to, to spin up a, you know, Andy, the uh, the remote browser service. Uh, so there's lots of security benefits and ease of use benefits here that uh, I wasn't really even aware of until now. Here's the funny thing, right? We we do this stuff all day. There's pieces like this that we don't think about Citrix, and we should have been. Uh, so why should we be surprised that um, the the tens of thousands of Citrix customers out there don't know all this either? Well, we should be. That's why we do the podcast. I listened to the uh, the Citrix podcast, the ClickBound, on my flight up to Boston this morning, and um, you know, they, they talk about great stuff like this, but they talk about it through their eyes where they already know what this stuff does. I think our podcast we're doing here, where we've got Ben helping us out and, and Bill and I, you know, getting educated at the same time, you know, th- it gives us a chance to other people see our eyes open and what we didn't know, we didn't know. There's a ton of stuff going on in the Citrix world. A lot of it is security related. Now, now Andy, I'm going to say something to you that pains my heart. 
we ought to be in there educating you on this. We ought to have more partner engagement and, and ought to be meeting with you more on a regular basis so that you do understand this. For you to tell me that you don't you don't know that these things are out there, man, that really hurts me because that's what my job is, is to make sure that my partners know and train. And, and uh, so, man, I, uh, man, I, I take that to heart, dude. I'm going to, I'm going to mark that in my pocket and I will not let that happen again. Well, Ben, call me after this and I'll tell you where that, that falls apart in your world. Not you, not you personally, but in the city's world. All right. Um, <clears throat> secure the last section here was something that uh, when I was in that hospital in Gastonia, this is what we were doing. And that is providing uh, secure access to apps and APIs that are internal, that app firewall protection that Citrix has done for a long time. In fact, that's part of what the Netscaler did before Citrix bought it. Um, ben, you want to try to explain how Citrix does this for some of the largest companies in the world? Ooh, that might be a little beyond my, uh, my, my ADC knowledge is enough to be dangerous. What this is really looking at is, you know, Application to application communication, man. You you have a lot of web apps these days that depend on other web apps and they're making those communications through APIs. And a lot of times they're having to do that across a public network. So we've kind of put this out there to be able to kind of have a bridge for that. Let's send that traffic to a surface where we can scrub that before it comes down into the data center. And again, it's, it's making it as a service. So you don't have to have a single point of entry. You can have this out there and drive all the traffic to it and then have it come back down to multiple data centers. Again, you know, rules, routing, all that jazz. Um, that's the big thing I've seen here with, you know, web development and web application rollout is the ability to protect those APIs and the ability to bring it to a single kind of traffic cop to be able to do that marrying for you. Um, and then, of course, man, it's hitting all the... Uh, the OWA SPA SP rules, uh, as far as you know, man, SQL injections, it's looking for that botnets, all those sorts of things. Uh, really cool service, man, takes a lot off the endpoint. You know, you don't have to have these things on site anymore, they're now delivered as a service. And this last piece, DDoS. If you're getting DDoS attack, it much be rather to DDoS a service that's not connected to you instead of it coming to your own pipe. And that was important for me in healthcare, man. I could not have my internet connection being flooded with DDoS attacks. So again, this gives you an extra layer of protection of send that attack somewhere else. You know, they think they're attacking you, but they're really attacking a service that's manned by, you know, hundreds of people looking at it and you keep your internet pipe clean and all those, uh, all those vulnerabilities off. And the main thing here is you're doing this at the smarter layers of the OSI model, a lot of layer four through seven. You know, you're doing load balancing and things you have to do anyway. Let's go ahead and take a look at that traffic and see what's appropriate coming at us at layer four through seven um, so that the layer eight, the human layer, doesn't have to worry about it. It's taken care of. Yeah, exactly. Yep, I've, well, I implemented this for a couple of customers back in the day, and, and this is uh, this is really been summed it up pretty well, particularly around DDoS. But things like you've probably heard of these things like um, cross-site scripting and SQL injection attacks where they, you know, there's a form field in a form on the web where somebody that's, that knows SQL can actually insert the SQL command. And if it's not set up right, it'll execute that command. And that's how databases get exposed. Um, and WAF putting in between the external access and that database uh, can look at that traffic and say, hey, this is this looks like a known exploit or this is out of the ordinary for access to this and dump it off somewhere else or deny it or or make a uh, initiate a response that's uh, 
essentially says error or something along those lines. So, I mean, this is uh, this is a big deal when it comes to companies that have lots of web properties and lots of access to data through the internet. Um, we have a lot of customers that do this uh, to protect a lot of their um, their load balanced resources on the back end. So, Bill, I want to add two things to what you just said. Um, you said web apps, and that, and that's hundred percent true. But these days, that's ex- very, very extensible and bigger than people think because of all the APIs that you might be open. Right? Yeah. It's not like a website where you go to a website, okay, great. You know, somebody can you know, browse that web through a browser. It's all the APIs that almost every company that has to talk to other companies is opening up. Uh, it's, it's a lot bigger than just those web properties. And not to say you're wrong, just adding that API story to yeah. what you just said. So question for both of you, how is it possible that these back-end systems have these vulnerabilities that nobody thought about when it was being developed? And the, and the answer is simple. It was written by a human being, but we can use technologies and services and artificial intelligence to look for things and find things that the human being didn't know they were even supposed to look out for. Yeah, and also they don't, a lot of, a lot of times those critical applications and resources on the back-end aren't patched regularly. Um, and then a vulnerability is discovered and they're concerned about uh, patching it because it's going to break it. And, you know, a lot of times that weighs into it and makes it insecure. And, and the need for these types of things help mitigate that somewhat. Yeah. Well, and I, and I would also add that, you know, developers, they're developers. They're not security people. So like Bill was mentioning, you know, you've got a, a form field and a hacker comes in and they know how to do a SQL statement that breaks that form field and gives access to a database, you know, I don't think the developers are thinking that way. They're thinking about, you know, the software needs to do this, input of data, output of data. I don't know if they're really thinking about security. That's what the security guys are for. But that's what these that's what these services are geared towards to protect things like that. You know, the developer wasn't thinking about a cross script error in one of his web forms. And you get somebody like Bill on there and he goes, well, let me just try, you know, get blah, blah, blah. And all of a sudden he's at the command prompt and, um, you know, developers are meant to develop and work with data and make data do things that are for the good of the company. Security or security people are the ones that need to protect that. And so I don't blame developers for having bugs or things like that in their application. What I do blame is for people not having security professionals on board that can help with these sorts of things. And that's what the service is kind of geared to, to do. Ben, you just said something, I'll say this politely, you just said something that doesn't quite make sense, but you said it right security professionals, but then can leverage technologies way beyond what they're capable of, of uh, doing themselves based on time and commitments and resources. Yeah, you put the technology in the hands of those security people to front end those developers. Those developers are there to enable stuff to happen. Uh, they don't necessarily think about what could happen if it's taken and used the wrong way. Yeah, like let's say you work for a company and you had a breach and it came from a, a cross script in a web form. I don't know if I would feel good about attacking a database, I mean, a software programmer for that. Now, if it was a software programmer that was skilled in security, then yeah, that might be a different conversation. But I'm not sure that an an application developer might understand that vulnerability. And that might not be something they're thinking about where a cybersecurity person, that's going to be at the top of his list. So it's just, I don't know. It's interesting to see where the responsibilities lie and who could have responsibility if something was to get, you know, breached. Yeah, it, 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 it trusts, trust the developer, so, sort of, kind of, trust the security guy, but then use some technology to verify you're doing the best you can. Yeah, and these are all things, Andy, as you mentioned, that I don't think a lot of customers realize Citrus is involved in now. They keep, when I talk to customers, they go, 
yeah, you're that virtualization company allows us to get the apps remotely. And you're like, no, man. I mean, that is a strong part of what we do. But there are other things in our portfolio now that does make us supply, play in the security realm, in my opinion. All right. So let's do this. We're, we're at the end of time. Everybody's got to go. Uh, Bill, if I were to say the number one reason why customers don't understand all the other things Citrix does is because of all the good it's done with the virtual app and desktop being such an overwhelming success. Any truth to that? I think there's a lot of truth to that. Uh, I think also it's uh, it's they're kind of I go back a number of years, Andy, you probably remember this, where the old, the old concept of the one-trick pony, I think that as much as we've tried to get away from the one-trick pony, it's still that it's still the albatross. It's a good albatross because it's a solid product that, that's, that addresses a lot of needs. But I think a lot of folks still, to Ben's point, view us at the, or view Citrix as the company that is, uh, delivers virtual desktops and virtual apps. Uh, but there's so, so much more beyond that. I mean, that, that, that has some inherent security benefits as we've discussed, but Citrix has come a long way in some of these other areas. And I'll be honest, uh, I've learned today uh, some new stuff that, that has intrigued me enough to go start searching and learning more about this, particularly the secure private access. Victim of their own success. Correct. Well, Ben, I uh, appreciate you being part of this. Uh, we'll, we'll catch you on the other side when you land where you land and get you looped back in. But uh, it's been great having you on. Yeah, yeah I mean, I, I agree. Yeah, I appreciate it, Andy. Bill, I will tell you, I mean, I've learned a lot being part of this podcast. And, man, I thank you. And I, uh, I hope there's a place for me in, in another one in the near future. All right, sir. Bill, thank you for your time as always. And, gentlemen, enjoy the rest of your day. Thanks, man.